Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, August 24th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. I'm flying solo tonight because Grace is over at the John Golden Theater doing some filming for something for The Shark is Broken. I don't know what they're doing. I know that there was a very famous beer can involved, but that's all I know. Uh, so be on the lookout for that on not only The Shark is Broken social media, but I'm sure Grace will have some of that as well. But I'm going to run you through what little bit of news that we have today. It's not a ton, but there is some stuff that I want to get into. But of course, before we get into that, we're going to be announcing all of our new initiatives here on Broadway Radio, both in the regular feed and especially everything changing over on Patreon next week. So pay attention to that. Be on the lookout for that. If you're not already a contributor and a member over at Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash Broadway Radio, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. You will definitely want to be plugged in to everything that we have going on there in the coming days. All right, let's start off with some news that you, if you saw this, I hope that you thought of me because this is something that I have been championing for a long time and I really love the fact that somebody is actually doing it. Late on Tuesday, Broadway producer Ken Davenport announced via his social media that his current Broadway show, A Beautiful Noise, is going to be changing up its performance schedule. Starting on September 6th, the production will shift to having four weekly matinee performances and then four evening performances. That means they will have shows at 2 p.m. on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, and then at 3 p.m. on Sundays, and then they will have evening performances on Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays, meaning that they are essentially swapping the Wednesday evening performance for a Thursday matinee. Davenport talked about the fact that he had been doing some research on performance times, and this is what the research says might actually work better. He says, actually, even if the, the new Thursday matinee does not sell out every performance, he does believe that it will actually sell better than the midweek Wednesday evening performance. He said, quote, we rarely mix our schedule up. These times were set for a different audience in a different decade. He goes on to talk about how COVID and the pandemic and work from home and all of those things have changed. Again, acknowledging that risk that we talked about that always comes with making these changes. He said, quote, I'm betting that even if those performances don't sell out, they will do better than the Wednesday evening performance they replaced. If you have been listening for a while, you know that I love and unusually scheduled matinee or the rare early evening performance like Titanic does with the five o'clock show. I don't know that I would have done a schedule where you don't have a Wednesday night show. I probably would prefer to opt for giving the cast and crew uh, two days off back to back Monday and Tuesday or maybe Tuesday and Wednesday, even if you want to get really fun with it. But I'm not going to nitpick this because I do think this is something that is really interesting. And I do think it needs to be experimented with. You can look across the entire theatrical landscape, and I do when I start planning trips, I go through every Broadway show that I'm interested in seeing and I put it in its performance schedule in a spreadsheet. I do the same thing for off-Broadway. I do the same thing for any cabaret or comedy or you know, off-off-Broadway thing that I am interested in seeing. I put everything in to one spreadsheet. And practically without fail, every show lines up almost in lockstep. Sure, there might be some that have their matinees at two versus three o'clock, seven versus eight o'clock for evening performances. But that's why I get so excited when a show decides to do something funky and have a Thursday matinee or a, a weird evening performance on a Saturday or heaven forbid a Monday performance because it is so rare. So even if this doesn't end up proving to be a huge box office windfall for A Beautiful Noise, 
I do think it is important to get some information just to be able to challenge the decades-old conventions that Broadway and all of theater in New York City has been operating under. What I hope they do is not only look at the box office receipts and compare them to what was happening before or what happened the previous year or what was happening across the rest of the industry, but I hope they talk to the people that come to these shows and talk to ticket buyers in general and what having this different schedule did to their buying decisions. I honestly have had less than zero interest in seeing A Beautiful Noise, but when I go up into town, if there's a Thursday matinee, I might just go see it when I wouldn't have otherwise. This gives me a reason to see this show. So much that we talk about with Broadway has to do with how you are competing against the other shows, whether it's for box office dollars, whether it is for audience members in seats, whether it's for awards, it's for nominations. But what Ken Davenport is doing with The Beautiful Noise is saying, here is a performance time when I will have nearly no competition. Now, Phantom used to do Thursday matinees and there might be other shows that do it as well, uh, experiment-wise. I know sometimes the Disney shows will have different matinees. Obviously, they're more kid-centric. Chicago will play around with things. So there might be one other show, maybe two other shows competing with it, but that's a lot different than 30 other shows that you're competing with to try to get people to come to the theater. So selfishly, I love the fact that a big-time Broadway producer, and I've had plenty of things to say negative about Ken Davenport over the years, but this is actually one of the things that I've always liked about him is that he's willing to experiment and take risks. And I think that this is a very important one because as Grace and I have been talking about for the last couple of weeks here on the show, it's not great out there for the theater industry. Things are actually pretty bad. So if you can try some things with a show that's been around for, for getting close to a year, it's gone down, it's starting to plateau and dip down towards probably where it's getting difficult to, to break even on a weekly basis. It's worth embracing the opportunity to do something different and see what happens. So I generally had no interest in going over to the Broadhurst Theater and seeing A Beautiful Noise, the Neil Diamond musical. But because they are breaking away from the tried and true traditional Broadway schedule, I am legitimately more likely to see this show than I ever would have been before. And I know there's a ton of talent in the show, not only Will Swinson, but Robin Herter and that incredible ensemble. So I'm grateful for what Ken Davenport is doing here. And I know that might sound sacrilegious to some people, but I think it's worth a try. I'm very interested to see how this goes. He promised that he would share the results of the research that they do on his social media. It's something he's always done back when he had a blog that he wrote a blog post every day. I do appreciate that. I'm excited to, to see what comes of this. And I'm going to be in town in October. I had not planned on putting a beautiful noise in my schedule. But I'm certainly going to load it up into that Thursday afternoon slot in my spreadsheet and see what happens. All right, let's move over and do some real quick reviews for the Donmar Warehouse's performance of Next to Normal. Now, this is the London premiere of this show, which is crazy because it made its Broadway debut well over a decade ago. It was a 2010 Pulitzer Prize for Drama and won three Tony Awards, Best Original Score. It is being helmed in London by Michael Longhurst, who most recently did Carolina Change over the Donmar and then on Broadway. He is reuniting with Casey Levy, who appeared in Carolina Change. She is playing Diana. Joining her in the company are Jamie Parker as Dan, Jack Wolf as Gabe, Eleanor Worthington Cox as Natalie, Jack Ofricio as Henry, and Trevor Dion Nicholas as Dr. Madden and Dr. Fine. It's interesting to me because this is a show that we all know so well because it's been around and part of the theatrical consciousness for nearly a, nearly a decade and a half. 
but most of the London reviewers are reviewing the show because it's the first time that it's been there. So for me, when I think about reviews for revivals, I think that those should focus on the production, this new production and the performances rather than on the, the book and the score. A lot of these do focus on that. So I'm gonna read those and then try to branch off a little bit when I can. But let's start with Emma John writing for The Guardian. She said, quote, Brian Yorkey's book and lyrics prove that a portrait of a chronic mental illness doesn't have to be grim. There's plenty of verve and momentum in a first half that fizzes with humor, from a sexy jazz number about Diana's pill regimen to the patter song in which her well-intentioned, desperate husband tries to convince himself that all will be well. Chloe Lamford's stylish design reflects the energy on stage with screens that sometimes hide and sometimes reveal the musicians in mirror manic episodes with dizzying electric patterns. Sarah Crompton, writing for What's On Stage, said, quote, One of the most impressive things about Next to Normal is the way that it considers mental health with deep seriousness, suggesting how little medical science knows, how much treatment is trial and effort. Apparently, they don't say trial and error over there and how the person being helped might actually feel that the price of what seems like a cure is simply too high. The memories are gone, but the aftershocks live on, says Gabe at one point. This is a show that asks what makes a life and what makes a person. She continues talking about Casey Levy saying, quote, Levy dominates the space just as her illness overwhelms her family, singing wonderfully, carefully charting the stages of anxiety and terror as she seeks help from doctors, all played with grave concern by Trevor Dion Nicholas, who offer her pharmaceutical help in a little snatch of parody of The Sound of Music, counseling, and finally the radical option of ECT, which might wipe away her memories, but will make her life less troubling. We'll wrap up with Nick Curtis from the Evening Standard who said, quote, Kitten Yorkie's decision to write about mental health implicitly rebukes those who think musicals can't be serious. Their approach is compassionate, thoughtful, but also witty, showing us the fantasies Diana projects on her doctors. Healthcare has been weaponized by conspiracy theorists since the show was written, but it somehow navigates Diana's choices, drugs, ECT, or potentially suicidal refusal of treatment without scarring the horses. He continues, quote, I expected everyone to hug and learn at the end, like they do in sitcoms. Actually, the creators opt for something much more bittersweet and interesting, which lifted my appreciation of the whole show. Casey Levy, who originated the role of Elsa in Frozen on Broadway, is terrific in it, and she has a fine supporting cast. Now, I've talked about my aversion to Kit and Yorkie stuff in general, although I do think that there are a number of songs here in Next to Normal that are really great, but I'm kind of dumbfounded by the reaction to this show in terms of its approach to mental illness and maybe it's just a difference between how we look at these things here in the states versus how they do in the united kingdom but to me and i am not a mental health person i fortunately have never had any kind of real dealings with mental illness uh, either personally or really with anybody super close to me at least not at at, at anything approaching diana's level but to me, this story is just so irresponsible and the way that it undermines getting treatment. And I understand that there are certainly trade-offs, but I think this show is is incredibly problematic and, and might actually do more harm than good when it comes to talking about mental illness. Again, not my area of expertise, but having seen it originally on Broadway, it did not sit well with me then. Having seen a couple of regional productions, that has only intensified the more that mental illness has become part of the public consciousness and conversation in recent years. So I, I'm a little surprised that everybody in the UK, at least from, from these major reviews that I talked about, 
seems to be championing the way that Kit and Yorkie approach that. And I know that there are a lot of people who love this show, so perhaps that means that I am in the minority here, especially not having gone through some of these struggles either personally or having seen a loved one go through them. But I just have a very different feeling about Next to Normal than a lot of these critics did, which is fine. As our own Peter Felicia likes to say, I would much rather you enjoy yourself than agree with me. All right, let's move on and talk about some uh, various pieces of news. Yesterday, the national tour of Moulin Rouge the musical announced some new cast members. They'll be beginning performances on September 27th in Pittsburgh. Joining the company will be Gabrielle McClinton as Satine, Christian Douglas as Christian, there you go, well-named, Robert Petkoff as Harold Zidler, Sarah Bowden as Nini, and Danny Burgos as Santiago. They will be joining a couple cast members who are already in there who will be sticking with the production, including Nick Rashad Burroughs as Toulouse Lautrec and Andrew Brewer as the Duke. This show will be coming to Orlando in February, I think, so I uh, am looking forward to checking this cast out. Yesterday, we also got word that the National Black Theater and Ars Nova have announced their full casting and creative team for Prey, a sacred offering that is set to play Ars Nova at Greenwich House from September 23rd through October 8th. Nietzsche Douglas is the playwright, director, and choreographer, and it features music by Star Busby and Jerome Ellis. I hope I'm saying these names uh, all correctly. They have somewhat unusual capitalization and letters and spacing in there. And I tried to look them all up to make sure I said them right, but there's not a whole lot of them actually saying their name online. So I hope that that is uh, that those are accurate. The cast will include Ariel Kayla Blackwood, Busby, Ashley De La Rosa, Tina Fabrique, Amara Granderson, Taylor Simone Jackson, Xiaomi Louise Law, Igner Mazel, Satori Folkstone, Gail Turner, Darnell White, and Dee Woods. Prey is a new choreo poem dedicated to the complex relationship between black women and their spirituality. Considered both a celebration and a reckoning, the work combines the form of a Sunday Baptist church service with the isolation of an ancestral forest to offer a communal space of healing. Certainly sounds like something uh, that would be a spiritual cousin or descendant of four colored girls. So very interested to look about, to hear about this. Always love everything from Ars Nova. And this is not really news, but it's also not a recommendation, but Broadway favorite Drew Galing was on CBS Mornings on Wednesday, and he talked about something that I I don't know that I've ever heard him talk about before, but apparently in 2010, he woke up and had lost pretty much both upper and lower ranges of his voice. He said, quote, I had no range beyond like one octave. To suddenly have that be gone, what do you do? So he goes in and talks about the fact that he teamed up with Dr. Haley Bourne to do some research because there had not really been any research done on what happens to a voice. He had discovered that he had calluses on his throat and he wasn't sure what to do and how to deal with it. So he and Dr. Bourne went stage door to to stage door to survey over 100 singers, both professional and not to figure out what they thought affected their, their vocal performance. And they were surprised that Many of the things that people had just kind of thought they knew and and had assumed were true because of they'd been told it before weren't actually accurate. So the interview is great. He talks about kind of like extracurricular activities that performers can do without hurting their voices. The exercise that he used mainly to get his voice back. Obviously, if you saw him in Waitress, you know that he's got his range back that he's got a great range in that show. So really fascinating. We don't hear people talk about this all that much. So uh, I, I hope that people see this and and learn a little bit about it 
All right, finally, I have two recommendations. The first is a trailer for a new movie. Technically, it's a musical because there is music in there, but it's not a musical musical like a theatrical musical. It is the new movie by John Carney, who is the writer and director of the films Once and Sing Street. Grace and I talked about him a couple days ago as she was championing Sing Street to come back and, and finally make its Broadway debut. This one is called Flora and Son, and it stars Eve Hewson as Flora, and she's at a loss about what to do with her rebellious teenage son, Max. She is encouraged to help him find a hobby, and she ends up giving him a beat-up old acoustic guitar, and with the help of a washed-up L.A. musician, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, they kind of find the transformative power of music. So this one is right in line with a lot of John Carney's other films. Not only did he do once and Sing Street, he did another similar music-themed movie called Begin Again that featured Kira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo. Uh, another good one there, so definitely worth checking out. And finally, the upcoming Broadway musical How to Dance in Ohio has released a new song from, I guess, I don't know if they've already re recorded the cast album or not, but this one is called So Much in Common. So this one is new. It is uh, really, really cool. I'm getting more and more excited to finally be able to see this show set in my hometown, which is always very cool. All right, everybody, that is all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio, and you can follow me pretty much anywhere at BWW Matt. Have a wonderful Thursday. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.